welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, Specialist Payroll Recruiters. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Payroll Podcast. My name is Nick Day from James Gray Associates and today on the podcast I am joined by no other than Payroll Specialist of the Year winner, Ian Holloway. I'm really excited to have Ian on board because his passion when it comes to payroll is quite fantastic. For those not familiar with Ian, his knowledge, dedication, enthusiasm, and very personal approach to payroll has led him to being involved in many committees, working parties, which have helped promote and shape the future of the payroll industry for the better for everyone involved. Ian is currently the Head of Legislation and Compliance at Sintra HR and Payroll Services and is the Chair of the Level 3 Payroll Administrator Apprenticeship Scheme. Ian has worked in payroll since 1986 and prior to Sintra has held prestigious roles as payroll lecturer and writer for the Learn Centre, payroll bureau manager for Wheeled and Computing Services, which is actually when we first came into communications with each other, and research officer at the CIPP, among others. Ian holds the coveted MSc in payroll and business management as well. And for many years, he's really specialised in looking at UK legislation and best practice and then interpreting this for the payroll profession. He's done this via weekly newsletters, blogs, articles and through the delivery of multiple training courses. And if you've ever been to one of my seminars on social media or recruitment, you'll find I've often referred to Ian's LinkedIn articles as a great example of how others in the industry could really elevate themselves within the social payroll landscape. In fact, I've been an avid reader of Ian's articles for a number of years now, and there are a few people in the industry, in my view, who have written so much for free public consumption when it comes to helping payroll professionals navigate the intricacies and sometimes very complex nature of payroll legislation. Ian is a huge advocate of apprenticeships, And recently, he has been the trailblazer chair for the Level 3 Payroll Administrator Apprenticeship in England. And we're going to find out an awful lot more about that in today's podcast. Welcome, Ian. How are you? Oh, I'm really good, thanks. And thanks for the wonderful introduction. 1986, is that when I first came into payroll? I know, it's crazy. I think we first met you all came across each other in about 2003. So when you're having fun, time flies. It does. That's what they say. And payroll is fun, right? That's what this podcast is all about. Five quick questions. This payroll apprenticeship scheme, you've been such an advocate for it. And I know that over the last few months, you've been very, very busy updating the payroll profession with regards to the progress of the Level 3 Payroll Administrator Apprenticeship. So where are we now? And can you tell the listeners a little bit more about it? Well, yeah, you're right. I'm a big believer in communication and education. And I think the whole world would be a lot, a much better place, not just a payroll one, if there was more communication and education going on. And the apprenticeship, it did take over a large part of my working life and still is taking a large part of my life together with that of the Trailblazer Group. And I do specifically want to mention the Trailblazer Group. People say, oh, it's Ian Holloway's apprenticeship. It's not Ian Holloway's apprenticeship. I was just the chair looking after the thoughts and consolidating the thoughts of the Trailblazer group. And there was a great need for this payroll apprenticeship in the payroll profession. And that's why I communicated, hopefully not too much, but that's why I communicated with the profession to just keep them up to date with what I was doing. And I think the payroll profession, so stop me if I'm going on too much, I think the payroll profession really needs this uh, apprenticeship for a number of reasons. Firstly, and I don't think anybody would disagree, there is really a large resource and skills gap in the payroll and reward 
profession. What we do now in payroll requires us to look at more than just calculating tax and statutory sick pay. We have to look at pensions law. We have to look at payrolls law. And payroll training, in my experience, has not always recognized that. And maybe the payroll profession hasn't always sold itself well to potential new people. And that really is one of the purposes of this new apprenticeship. The second reason, um, in my opinion, is that there's no actual route currently into the payroll profession. There's no recognized apprenticeship. Largely, that was to do, do with the way that the government approached recruiting apprentices or the, the, the change of their policy, specifically in England. And the change of the policy meant that apprenticeships no longer could be organization designed. So an organization put it together in the belief that that was what the payroll profession wanted. The apprenticeship regime changes meant that apprenticeships had to be employer designed. And that's where I came in. And then that's where the trailblazer came in. No, I think it's fantastic. I mean, there's every single person I think I've had on this podcast today and actually beyond this podcast that I speak to in recruitment, they nearly always say they fell into payroll. Uh, it's not always something you don't necessarily aspire to do, but the payroll managers of, of the world at the moment tend to have fallen into it. And I think it's a great opportunity to say, hey, I didn't fall into it. I made a choice. I wanted to go into payroll. As Max uh, van der Basink mentioned in the podcast that I released, you know, payroll has the best of HR, the best of finance, the best of legal, the best of all these different areas. And why shouldn't people make the opportunity to say, hey, I want a career in payroll. It gives me a huge opportunity. And now the apprenticeship scheme, from my perspective, is a great route for someone who is looking for a career that they see as valuable, they see a, a genuine progression in, and they can do so now by actually making that choice rather than falling into it. They can say, hey, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to join this great business as a payroll apprentice. So, so how did it come about? When did this thinking start? It really started, the whole thing started long before I got involved with the change of government policy going back to, well, even before the introduction of the apprenticeship levy, which was um, 2017. But the apprenticeship levy came along, employers uh, of a certain size putting in a certain amount of money every month that could only be spent on apprenticeships that were approved apprenticeships. And that's what this one is, an approved apprenticeship on which employers can use their levy funds. And it doesn't have to just be um, employers that are paying the levy. Employers that are not paying the levy will also be able to use this apprenticeship as well. So that's when it all started. The real catalyst, I suppose, was the changing government policy. You've actually got it through quite quick. So I don't, didn't know a huge amount about the apprenticeship uh, schemes that are out there in the UK, and I'm sure a lot of listeners won't either. So in, in my research, you said in order for the new apprenticeship regime to be accepted, if you like, you had to complete four stages before going live. Now, you can probably enlighten listeners better than I can what these stages were, but my understanding was there was initially a proposal for development, which you had to submit to the Institute of Apprenticeships, the IFA, a standard giving an overview of the apprenticeship itself, an assignment of a funding band, an assessment plan. It's quite a complex process. It seems to me that you've got it through quite quickly. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what that process involved? It's been a lot of work, but it has gone through seamlessly, and that is thanks to the work of the trailblazer. I put all together the work that the trailblazer did, but the trailblazer really helped me. But you're absolutely right. There are four distinct stages. So that proposal is the very first thing. 
And actually, that was done by the previous chair of the Trailblazer before I took over in 2017. The proposal was basically going to the Institute for Apprenticeships or the IFA, as you said, and saying, right, OK, there is a need in our profession for this particular qualification at this particular level. And the Institute for Apprenticeships come back and they say, right, OK, you've demonstrated that there's a need for it. And therefore, we give you permission to go ahead and develop the next stage, which is the standard. And as you've said, the standard just basically gives a whole wide overview of what the apprenticeship is. The standard is really supposed to be an employer can look at it and say, oh, actually, this is what's basically covered. I think this meets the needs for, for my organization, uh, an employee or a, a future apprentice. And maybe their parents can look at it and say, Do you know, this is actually a career that you could be going into rather than fall into a career. This is maybe a career that you could choose to go into. So that standard we developed as a trailblazer group. I took over a trailblazer group when I inherited the role of chair or chose to take on the role of chair. And I recognized at a very early stage that maybe the trailblazer group that I inherited didn't represent the depth and the breadth of the payroll profession. So what I did was I reached out to a number of my colleagues to make sure that the new standard that we put together was reflective of the fact that, you know, there's big employers, there's public sector, there's private sector, we've got the construction industry, we've got bureaus, we've got small employers, and every different person in between. So sure. that was the makeup of the Trailblazer Group. And we worked very hard for many, many months on putting together a new standard, which, as you've said, is a, gives an overview of the apprenticeship. My understanding now is that all four stages are complete, and I'm delighted to say that the, for those who aren't aware, the Payroll Administrator Apprenticeship is now live on the IFA website and fully approved for delivery, which is fantastic news. You've mentioned a little bit about the Trailblazer Group, and obviously you're a Trailblazer Chair for the Level 3 Payroll Administrator Apprenticeship. Can you go into a little bit more detail then about what the Trailblazer Group is? Because listening to this Payroll podcast, and we had a podcast at few weeks ago now with Kate Upcraft, who was very much advocating people in the industry to say, look, you can get involved in payroll decision-making forums and voluntary groups all over that are taking place. You know, just do get involved. Don't sit on the fence. If you're passionate about something, you, know, you can make change. You can be part of that change. And my understanding is the Trailblazer Group itself was a voluntary group formed in 2017, I think. And it consists of obviously like-minded payroll industry professionals. So how did that Trailblazer Group come together? And how, if I'm listening to this, could, as a payroll professional, could I get involved in something similar or even in this particular group or perhaps in future groups? Well, as I said, I did inherit a Trailblazer Group and I looked at that Trailblazer Group and I thought, well, these are not, yes, I invited them to work with me, but I thought, well, actually, actually is not totally reflective of the payroll profession. So I reached out and invited other people that I knew of and then word of mouth eventually spread. And I got the likes of Kate on there. She said that she would like to work. And there was a number of other people from construction, public sector. They all volunteered their time. And this apprenticeship is now done and dusted as far as it's approved for delivery. But it will always need tweaking. We're always going to have to keep on top of it to make sure that it's relevant. And if some phenomenal new tax comes into play, then we will have to amend it. So I would always be interested in hearing from employers that are interested in maybe being part of the existing Trailblazer group, looking at amending the current apprenticeship, 
And then as soon as this one went live, people said to me, okay, this is a level three, which is a level standard. So it's really an introduction to the profession. So like your, your foundation level to the profession. They said, when are you going to do a level five, like a supervisor? When are you going to do a level seven, like a degree level? And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, let me get this one up and running <laughs> first. So it would be great if people that are really passionate about the payroll profession could get in touch with me when we do eventually put together a level five qualification and a level seven qualification. If indeed the payroll profession thinks that there's room for that in the, the payroll qualifications market. I particularly think that there is, but let's get level three up and working first of all. But what Kate said about voluntarily getting involved in anything, consultations, talking to HMRC, liaising with HMRC, DWP, that kind of thing, is absolutely the way that payroll professionals can get involved in, in shaping the payroll profession. Fantastic. Brilliant response. And uh, what I will do as well for anyone listening is, if you're okay for me to do so, you know, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the episode notes. If anyone wants to reach out to you and say, hey, I'd like to get involved, they can obviously get in contact with you directly to say, how can we get part? How can we be part of this for the future? There may be payroll managers or HR managers out there who, of course, are interested now in taking on payroll apprentices, or indeed, perhaps we have listeners who are keen on the taking a payroll apprenticeship. Can you provide some advice or guidance on how the apprenticeship funding rules work, what levy monies can and cannot be used, and, and how employers can really get involved, I guess, in benefiting from the work that you've done and bringing this apprenticeship to life and benefiting from the apprenticeship training providers that are offering these payroll apprenticeship schemes? Well, I would say that it's flipping complicated it, there's so much guidance out there, and the Institute for Apprenticeships are doing an admirable job in trying to publish as much guidance as possible, possibly unlike some other organizations that should be publishing a good guidance. The problem with good guidance and so much good guidance is that sometimes it can be too much. So what I'm trying to do with the Global Payroll Association is writing a how-to guide for employers, which will basically be looking at the extensive amount of guidance that's out there from the Institute for Apprenticeships, the Education and Skills Funding Agency, consolidating that, taking out all the waffle, putting down the relevant bits for employers, and providing a lot of links if they, they want the reading. But in the first instance, with regards to the funding, which is really, really important, I would suggest that employers Google, other search engines are available, uh, Google apprenticeship funding rules. And in the search, three documents will be returned. Firstly, there's the rules for employers. Then there's the rules for employers that are also apprenticeship training providers. And then there's the funding rules for apprenticeship training providers. Now, the majority of employers, I would think, would want to look at the document, the rules for employers. And I think the most important thing to consider when they've got this guidance is to recognize that apprenticeship training is designed under this new regime to be very flexible. There is no need anymore to get apprenticeship training from one provider. So you might have a provider that you really like that can do your pensions bit. So you can say, well, OK, I've got all of these learning outcomes in the apprenticeship, but I want you as a training provider to not do anything else but the pensions bit. And I want you as a training provider to do the bits on tax. And I want you as another apprenticeship training provider who I really trust to do the bits on all of the statutory payments. 
I think it's really important to realize that unlike any other training that's out there at the moment, employers really are in the driving seat. The training provision is the training provision that suits them. So they can get a little bit here. They can do a little bit in-house, another bit from this training provider. The apprenticeship training really has to suit the employer. And that's a big learning curve for employers and a big learning curve for training providers who undoubtedly, once they've got their heads around this apprenticeship, will come out and say, well, this is our offering. Really, I think employers need to look at the offering that's been provided by several apprenticeship training providers and say, well, I like this bit from you. Don't quite like that bit, but I prefer that bit from somebody else. And that's absolutely the way that the funding rules work. You can pick and mix your training. And that's vital to understand. I never knew there was such flexibility available, even in my own research prior to this podcast. And I think you've articulated that brilliantly because that was something that certainly I wasn't familiar with. And for sure, I will make it easier for the listeners out there. I will find the links to those three sections that you mentioned if we Google it, and I will make them available in the episode notes. So you can go straight to the episode notes of this podcast and you'll be able to click to those rules for employers, training providers and funding rules so you can access that information really quickly. But I never knew there was such flexibility. Oh, absolutely. And can I also say that what I didn't realize until sort of like coming to the end of this apprenticeship, putting it together as chair of the trailblazer, what I didn't realize, well, I always knew that the apprenticeship could be used for new people coming into the profession and to upskill existing employees. So say you've got an employee that's been there for 10 years, but they've got no recognized qualification. You've got a load of levy funds and you want to provide them with a qualification where you can use those levy funds or get government funding to put that existing employee through an apprenticeship. Wow. Again, something I didn't know. And there must be a huge number of employers that could take advantage of upskilling existing employees and also a number of employees that would want to be upskilled and get a recognised qualification and take advantage of the levy. I actually didn't realise. I thought it was just for people coming into the profession. So again, I'm learning as I go here. This didn't come up in my own research. And what a fantastic opportunity. It's really fascinating. So I I knew that. But what I didn't realize, the levy funds, so the the amount of money that can be used from your your pot of of apprenticeship levy funds can only be used. So you can only draw down on levy funds if it provides the new employee or the existing employee with new skills. So if you've had, say, an employee that's maybe been in your department for 10 years but maybe they've just been concentrating on the pensions part of payroll. So they don't know tax and they don't know national insurance. They don't know statutory sick pay, but they've just been looking after pensions. You can put that person through this administrator apprenticeship. But when it comes to learning about pensions, when in actual fact, the pensions part of the apprenticeship, they'll already know. So you cannot draw down levy funds and the apprenticeship training provider cannot charge you for pensions training because it's not new training. So what the employer has got to do is recognize that. And the apprenticeship training provider, if you're going to one of those, has got to actually say, well, okay, our course would normally be 18 months, for example. The pensions bit would take two months and cost you £700, for example. Well, you want to take that bit out of the offering. So we'll reduce the duration of the apprenticeship and we'll reduce the amount that we actually charge you. Apprenticeship training providers haven't quite cottoned on to that. If they haven't cottoned on, employers won't have cottoned on. So that's really an important point. And I'll send you those links if you like. Fantastic uh, description there. And uh, you know, I thought I was pretty well researched for this podcast. Here, I have to say, but I, I'm learning all the time, which is great. And 
seems like an absolutely fantastic scheme. I'd never realized that existing employees could upskill themselves and employers could upskill their employees in areas that they're not currently skilled in. As you mentioned, if you're in pensions, you can go and learn statutory payroll or vice versa, of course. What a fantastic yeah. resource. Obviously, you've mentioned a couple of times here, the apprenticeship of this kind is quite new. So to help them along this journey, what other benefits do you believe there are out there for businesses or for employees taking on the apprenticeship scheme? Are there any other things that we haven't discussed yet that you'd like to highlight? Perhaps say that this apprenticeship only applies to an apprentice where they're working more than 50% of their time in England because apprenticeships is a devolved uh, responsibility. So Scotland can do what they like, Wales can do what they like. So this apprenticeship is essentially for English employees or at least working 50% of their time in England. Now, what another mission of mine will be is to try and sell this framework to Scotland, to Wales, to Northern Ireland. Professionally, it would be good if it exists in England because payroll happens in England, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales. And payroll is generally payroll, regardless of which part of the, the UK. Now, there is a framework in Scotland. It's not like the framework that's and the standard and the assessment plan that we've now got in England. So why should Scotland be different from England? So that's what I'd like to go out and sell. The real difference, I think, that we've got, there is something in Wales as well. And I, I, you struggle to find that. There is something in Wales and I don't like it, but, not, but I like that one in Scotland. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and prostitute this. But the real difference, I think, and why employers will need to be involved with this or will want to be involved with this is firstly, yes, they can use levy funds. So that's great. You've got a pot of levy funds and you're thinking, what on earth am I going to do with all of this money that's accumulated in my digital account? Yep, use it for apprenticeship, not just the payroll one. There's business, there's HR, there's pensions, there's all sorts of apprenticeships. But the fundamental difference, I think, is that this apprenticeship, unlike any other apprenticeship that did exist in England, and there were frameworks that existed in England, they've been withdrawn now, is that this apprenticeship has been written by employers who are actually in the profession. So it's been written by members of the profession specifically for the profession. It hasn't been written by an organisation because they have the course material to be able to teach that apprenticeship uh, or that qualification. And that's the real difference. It's been written by employers who know what's right for the profession and employers should should see that. So it's got the potential, I think, to not only impact employers, apprentices, but impact training provision. Well, I didn't realise until we started recording here that, you know, you were, had bigger aspirations, as you say, potentially uh, developing this so that it can be accessible in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, wherever it might be. Where does your energy come from? What's driving this passion? What's driving your motivation to improve? Because as you say, a lot of this is done in your voluntary time. So what is it that's powering that? Is there a story? Is there an aim that you're trying to achieve? Because let's be honest, there aren't many people that commit this much time into something that is essentially for the greater good uh, within the payroll industry. So I'm really keen to know a little bit more about where this comes from. Well, when I was first asked to do this, I, I initially said, I haven't got time to do that. I do not want to get involved in that. And somebody said to me, but this is the professionally responsible thing to do. And I thought about that. And then I had to chat to Kate. Kate and I are quite friendly. We chat a lot. And um, she is 
well, she won't thank me for saying this, but neither of us are spring chickens. And we're looking at maybe winding down and going out of the profession. We're payroll current, but I don't necessarily think we're payroll future. We're ghosts of payroll part. Oh, no, Kate, I'm so sorry. But I don't necessarily think we're payroll future. And I look at the people that are in the payroll profession and the reward profession at the moment, and I don't immediately see at the forefront new Ian Holloway's Kate Upcraft coming forward. So that was one of my main motivations. If I'm going to leave the profession, I mean, not imminently because I need the money, not I'm nothing special, honestly, but I didn't want to leave an education and communication hole. Likewise with Kate. And she was the one who said, it's the professionally responsible thing to do. And maybe this is actually a legacy. You know, if my only legacy in payroll is that I left a career path for new professionals, then I'll be happy. Also, I must say another motivating point for me was my boss, Carsten at Syndra, was extremely supportive. I could never have done it if I hadn't have got a supportive boss. And that's where I think some other trailblazers have fallen down because they're trying to do a little bit in the morning, a little bit of lunchtime, a little bit on the weekend. Whereas Carson was quite happy for me to take chunks out of my working day to devote to the apprenticeship. But my main motivation was professionally responsible thing to do. As you said, I've been in the profession since 1986, which you can perhaps edit out that bit. <laughs> <laughs> legacy is a great reason. It certainly looks like you're going to be leaving a legacy behind when you do decide to exit, which is fantastic. And you mentioned the support of Carsten. I know Carsten very well. For those that, that aren't familiar, he's a very colourful character within the payroll industry and very much at the forefront of payroll promotion, if you like. Now, you've got quite a, a senior role at Cintra HR and Payroll Services, which is Head of Legislation mm. and Compliance. So how have you been able to balance the two? Because you've got a lot of responsibility in that position. Has that role been able to help you as Chelblazer Chair as well? Have you been able to use some of the skills in your head of legislation and compliance role that benefited you in the Chelblazing Chair position? And, and have you been able to balance the voluntary piece and, and, and the professional piece? Well, yes, because I try, because in my role at, at Sintra and any communication that I do in conference speaking, whatever, I try and keep my finger on the pulse and it's necessary that I know what's going on. And, and I'm not saying that's easy. That did help in shaping the, the apprenticeship because I know what's important for, for Sintra staff, for communication on LinkedIn, for communication on Twitter. If it's important for Sintra and the software developers at Sintra, then it's also important for future apprenticeships to know that. So it did help. My role at Sintra did help shape this. As, as it's so good as well to have such a supporting uh, supporting boss to do that. Uh, hopefully that's a, that's a really good example of how employers can really, you know, if they do support their employees, then great things can happen. And, and this is a result of cast and support, results in a fantastic apprenticeship scheme being launched. I know it's not just yourself, it's a whole group of people, but all the other employers that have allowed the other members of the Trailblazer groups to be part of this as well. And a huge kudos to them. So now that it is live, big question here to finish off before we find out a little bit more about you, Ian, but how do you see it or how would you like to see it impacting on the future of the payroll industry? Well, I'd like the apprenticeship training providers to look at it, really map their offering to the learning outcomes and it's the learning outcomes we've been so specific, or the Trailblazer Group and I consolidating them, been so specific in, with the learning outcomes because we honestly believe that they represent what a payroll administrator should know in 
any area of the payroll profession, whether they be big employer, small employer, public sector, private sector. Now, obviously, it's a massive, massive sector, the payroll profession. So nothing is going to totally fit every sector. How it affects the future of the payroll profession, I think it will affect training provision generally. I think all payroll training providers or people that offer any sort of payroll training will look at the apprenticeship and think, oh, those are things that are actually relevant for the payroll profession. And the reason that I know they're relevant is because a group of employers, the Trailblazer Group, have actually dictated that they're relevant and it's gone through the necessary approval. So it's going to affect training, which can only help. Sometimes the training maybe doesn't always focus on what's relevant to the payroll profession, mentioning no names whatsoever. But it also is going to give every person using this apprenticeship for the benefit of employers and themselves a solid grounding and the same sort of grounding because the learning outcomes are so specific in there. And payroll is much more than just calculating uh, tax, national insurance, statutory maternity pay and pushing the button at the end of the week. It's so much more. And I really do believe that this will be a positive impact on the payroll profession and a knock on effect will be the better training provision. Now, no longer is it a back office function where you've got one person in a, an office with no windows calculating payroll and the forgotten and just as everyone else in the business assuming it's a really easy job, right? So it's another great way of bringing it to the forefront. You know, we're always looking at trying to get payroll parity with HR and financial counterparts, right? And I think it's a really great, and you talk about your legacy, a great way of, again, bringing it to the forefront of employers' minds to say, look, we can actually get funding now to support it. It's a recognised career path at government level that we can train people through to become the future payroll stars of the future. I think it's great. What I was really conscious of when I was putting together the assessment plan, which detailed all of the learning outcomes, I was always looking, like any trailblazer chair does, I was always looking at similar apprenticeships. And we were largely looking at the workplace pensions one, the accounts administrator, the HR admin one, and the business admin. I think it's HR support and the business admin one. And I looked at the funding bands for all of those. So I looked at the learning outcomes and some of them, you know, if when you talk about communication and being professional and all that kind of thing, that's largely generic between all of the professions. The specifics, the payroll knowledge, the pensions knowledge is different, obviously. And it's really, really detailed in the payroll administrator apprenticeship. Then it came to justifying a funding band to the Institute for Apprenticeships. And I looked at the funding bands that applied to accounts, which was Funding bed nine, which is £9,000. I looked at the one that applied to HR, which was, I think it's £5,000, and so is the business admin one. And I was initially, I initially inherited a funding band of £3,000, which I think went down to £2,500. I was then provisionally offered another funding band of £2,500. And I said to the IFA quite firmly, to be quite honest, I met them a few times and I said, look, I will come down and, and I will do a whole day's training with you. Because payroll is not simple. It's not pressing a button. And I want you to recognize that any training provider out there is really going to have to do more than just pulling a load of stuff from gov.uk and saying, this is how you calculate tax. This is how you calculate national insurance. And I did manage to do that. Went to training. Some training providers, they provided me with quotes. So I said, you know, how much would it cost you to train an apprentice over 12, 15 months, something like that. And they all came back with quotes. And eventually, the IFA recognized that the payroll apprenticeship 
is actually not as simple to teach as they initially thought. And the funding band has been aligned with that for workplace pensions and the accounts administration assistant, I think it's called. So I was really pleased to get that parity. Almost for the first time, payroll, in terms of the funding band, at least for this apprenticeship, it's uh, similar to the, or it's exactly the same as the accounts one and the workplace pensions. And how often do we say that payroll is on a par with accounts? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Again, something I didn't know. And you know, it goes back to the theory of marginal gains or small steps, but it's another step towards that parity that I think we're all, you know, this podcast is all about, of just educating and bringing it back, you know, right up to get parity, as I think most people that listen to this podcast agree that should have. Uh, really useful. So next section in, I know it's a bit you've been dreading, but we're going to hit into it anyway to find out a little bit more about you. Time to find out more about you. So how would your friends describe you and what would your work colleagues or how would your work colleagues describe you? Well, I think I'm loyal. Well, I hope I'm loyal. I think my friends would say that I'm not afraid to tell them exactly what I think. I think that's what's called an, a being an honest friend. Regards to my work colleagues, I would say that I hope, and, and, and whenever I talk to the likes of Kate and Simon Parsons at SD Work, I hope they respect my professionalism because that's what I always try and, and that's what I try and always be. Um, my knowledge and my professionalism and dedication to, to the payroll and reward profession. Wouldn't disagree. I would add very, very passionate in there as well. But I think that's my introduction. No, more than fair. Tell me something about you then that perhaps other people won't know about you. I suppose it's not that something that I've tried to keep a secret. But um, so I've been working on this apprenticeship for England, which when you're spending more than 50% of your time in England. But for the majority of the time that I was working on this apprenticeship for, for England, I'd actually moved to Wales. So I live now, um, I work from home and I live now on a small holding. I'm a true Welsh taxpayer. I live in rural Wales near Lampeter, surrounded by about 100 acres of farmland in the village where we live. I'm the only one where, where Welsh isn't the first language. So it's a totally different life. So I've got sheep and lettuces and harvesting cauliflowers and all that. That's, that's my first priority over, well, no, payroll is my first priority, but then it's and lettuces and harvesting and apples and all that kind of thing coming in. Such a different life. So I, I don't think that people really know that I now live in Wales. No, I think it's fantastic. I should let the listeners know here that at the start of this podcast, because we're recording this remotely, uh, Ian did warn me that various occasions during this podcast, we may hear sheep in the background. So I can absolutely attest to the fact that uh, you must be living near sheep. Are these your own sheep here or these local farmer sheep we've got nearby? They're our fields, but the farmer just down the road, he sort of like rents them out for everybody. He doesn't pay us money, but he cut, he maintains the hedges and all that kind of thing. And actually, it was very, very funny. I was talking to HMRC on the telephone. I think after we'd first moved in, I was talking to them about, it was actually regarding the optional remuneration arrangement legislation. And I was saying to them, you know, I think you've missed something here. And I said, this is, is really going to impact the profession. And, and they were giving me their response. And I, I was talking to HMRC, quite a senior person at HMRC who was responsible. I had a hand in writing the legislation. And I said, oh, you're going to have to hold on. A sheep's escaped from the field, which overlooks my office. It was very difficult talking to this civil servant at HMRC. My partner's outside trying to get the sheep back in with the crook and everything. And I'm trying to carry on a conversation. That's life in rural Wales. Excellent. Sheep gate. You heard it here first. Fantastic. 
So you're abducted by aliens and they want to learn more about our species. What item would you take with you? What item would I take with me if I'm abducted by aliens? Um, you know, I think I'd have to take a nail file. You know, as you get older, Nick, there are things that maybe don't grow as well as they should or don't, you know, hairs that grow in places where they didn't grow previously. So I used to have all of these manicuring sessions and all that kind of thing. In rural Wales, I haven't got that kind of thing. So I do spend a lot of time in my office doing it myself because they're terrible, uh, my hands and nails, because after I finish work, so I have the hopper five, six o'clock, I'm out in the polytunnels, I'm out in, you know, we've got eight acres here. I'm pulling in the wood. Until recently, we had solid fuels. I'm having to save the woods, dry the logs, and, all, and shred the leaves and all that kind of thing to put around the plant. And my nails are a terrible state. So I figure probably if I was abducted by aliens, that would give me a lot of comfort, actually, to maintain my nails. And, and that sounds stupid, doesn't it? Could be a handy escape tool as well, right? Could be a handy escape tool. You never know. You might need them. What game or instrument would you teach them? Well, I did think about this question, and... Uh, I think the only thing that I would probably teach these aliens is, I don't know if you know Farm Saga from Facebook, and I, I think I would probably teach them that to, to show them how these aliens, how engrossing it, it is, but after a very short period of time to make them realise what a ridiculous, ridiculous waste of time <laughs> Facebook is. Fair enough. Love that answer. All good. What truth would you tell them about humans? I um, think I'd like to tell them about the benefits the human race can get from when we work together and we, we work collaboratively and communicate. Well, I think I'd like to say that. And what human trait would you hold back? The reality that we don't do that. <laughs> Very good. The El Dorado situation is that we can all work together and we all collaborate and we all talk to each other and educate, communicate, all that kind of thing. The reality is we're not that good at it, to be quite honest. Five quick questions. You like to educate the power industry at pretty much every opportunity, and that's how I've come across your LinkedIn blogs so to educate myself. So when I'm talking about payroll uh, from a recruitment perspective, I've got a little bit more knowledge myself. You've written articles recently regarding the one-year RTI three-day easement and related HMRC penalties. You've done another article on the parental leave and pay arrangements uh, bill 2017-2019. You've done articles on advisory fuel rates, employment law for payroll and others. What are you writing about right now and what are you researching? Perhaps more in your role at Sintra. It doesn't have to be about the friendship scheme, but what at the moment is capturing your attention in the world of payroll? I've spoken to many trailblazer chairs and they said, right, OK, our apprenticeship's been published and it's available for delivery and I've washed my hands of it. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to do that with the payroll one because there are still some, my name is out there on the Institute for Apprenticeship website, so I deal with Query after query after query, which I really don't mind doing at all. And I'm dealing with apprenticeship training providers. I'm dealing with endpoint assessment organizations as well. And, and I'm writing this how-to guide with the Global Payroll Association. So that's regarding the apprenticeship. With regards to what I'm doing for Sindra uh, as part of my job of the, as the head of legislation and compliance, I currently I'm looking or on my to-do list are two government consultations that I've got to respond to. Or I want to respond to one about the extension of possibly extending off payroll working in the public sector to the private sector. Now, that's going to have real implications. 
And the other one that I want to uh, respond to is something that HMRC or DWP, the Department for Business and Energy Innovation and Skills, have actually come and they've said, we're looking at reforming uh, statutory sick pay. Which options do you think are best? So they're the two things that are on my desk at the moment. And I think probably any individual in the UK, in actual fact, is keeping an eye on EU exit, the terrible rocky path it's having through the UK Parliament. And like the most of the Conservative Party, I would think I'm really looking forward to the summer recess in the UK government and preparing updates for the autumn. And that's another thing that I look forward to because it does go quieter in, in the summer recess. So then I can start to accumulate the information that I've got and preparing. There's no point sort of like doing presentations in August because no one's interested in August. It's too hot. Everyone's on holiday anyway. So September, the real communication starts. And what I like to research as well is the best ways to communicate. Traditionally, I suppose I've always used PowerPoint, but I'm not one for just one PowerPoint slide after another. I like to try and be inventive with PowerPoint. And PowerPoint is such a powerful tool that you can be inventive. So I like learning on that. But it's all about finding the best ways to communicate, the best ways to educate. That's what I'm working on at the moment. Fantastic. And what do you see then as being the biggest issues which are affecting the smooth running of day-to-day payroll operations at the moment? Personally, where I've been affected is the poor guidance that comes out, not just from the body that we normally deal with, but generally poor guidance comes out. And that poor guidance is written by people based sometimes on poor legislation that's actually going through. And I think it's a reflection of the fact that at organisations, you know, the civil servants, their resources are so stretched because they've all got their eye, well, more than one eye, on EU exit and the, the ramifications that is going to have, undoubtedly it's going to have. And a, a big issue for me is the poor legislation and the poor guidance that's coming out. And then the implications, and it's the current and ongoing implications of devolution in the UK. And I've always been, since I was very embarrassed in Belfast in 2013, when I when I stated something in Belfast that only applied in Great Britain, and I <laughs> truly did not realise, I've always been an advocate of, well, just because it happens in England doesn't that way in Wales. So it's looking at not only what comes out of the UK government in Westminster, in London, looking at what comes out of Mrs Sturgeon's government in Holyrood, Carwin Jones in Cardiff Bay, and, well, we haven't got an executive in Northern Ireland. So that is a big issue for payroll professionals, I think, at the moment. The biggest area, I think, devolution in the UK, getting people to recognise that just because it happens in England doesn't mean it's going to happen that way in in Wales. Of course, we've got Welsh tax next year, which I'm going to be personally affected by. Uh, Core guidance, legislation and devolution in the UK. Interestingly, I recently did a payroll podcast with Kate Upcraft, we've mentioned here, and there's some really interesting content. So for the listeners out there that haven't had a chance to download and listen to it, please, please do so. But at the end of that podcast, Kate said that she felt that there was one opportunity for her to change the payroll industry with one actual improvement, that she would look for the HMRC to have some proper ministerial oversight. So if they had that, then the payroll industry would be in a better position than it is now. They'll be more easily held to account as well. So What's your view? Do you think the HMRC should have some proper ministerial oversight? Do you find the HMRC help or hinder the profession at the moment? 
Now, I have to be very careful what I say here, but I absolutely do agree with Kate. I think this does need to be um, some ministerial oversight for Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs at the moment, you know, because the buck needs to stop somewhere um, with HMRC and other government departments. They're generally ministerial. But with HMRC, it does seem that the buck doesn't stop anywhere and you can't get through to the right person. And if you phone the help desk in the morning and phone them in the afternoon, you're going to get different responses. So often the advice is, you know, well, try an hour later or try in the afternoon. So, yes, I, I think what government needs to do, because HMRC is such an important body. It's the tax collection agency, the main tax collection agency for taxes that aren't devolved in the United Kingdom. So I, I think the government does need to put a minister in charge. But I think with regards to HMRC generally, they're just not consulting and liaising with the people that actually could help them. And many times Kate and I have said to them, just ask if you need help and we'll either give it to you or we'll point you in the, the right direction. And I think there are enough trusted, competent and confident people in the profession to be able to give that advice confidentially to HMRC, which they would expect, obviously. But the talent is out there, but HMRC don't seem to be harnessing it. I think there's a real danger in the future that HMRC could hinder the profession if they don't consult with the right people. And maybe UK government doesn't give them ministerial oversight. I don't think they are at the moment because we're currently at the stage where we're spotting their mistakes. but. Eventually, yes, I think they could hinder the profession. And HMRC needs to take heed of that. Sure. I have actually asked HMRC to be involved in this podcast. So far, it's fallen on deaf ears, but I'm going to continue my uh, campaign to get their view. A really articulate way to answer that question. So thanks for that, Ian. Now, I have to mention your recent success in winning the Payroll Specialist of the Year Award, which you received at the Global Payroll Association Awards in Lisbon. I was fortunate enough to be there and witness it myself. And I think everyone in the room quite unanimously applauded and agreed with the decision. How did it feel to win? Do you think payroll professionals generally get the recognition they deserve? And yeah, I guess, how does it feel to be recognised now as payroll specialist of the year? I was really flattered, to be quite honest. I just wasn't expecting it to be recognised for doing something that I only consider as my job. And I didn't think that anybody would reward me for doing something that was my job. But then it was explained that I was doing something that was out of the ordinary, which I didn't see. So no, it, it was really flattering. And to be up against some really, really competent global professionals as well, it was, as I said, flattering. And it was a complete surprise. But whatever I do throughout my long and checkered career, I've never gone for accolades. So it's not really that important to me, but I'm so flattered. I am so flattered. I, but I just want to do a good job for Sintra and a good job for the profession as a whole. But it was really, really lovely to be recognised. And you must say that conference, the, I've never had a conference dinner in such a glorious setting. Absolutely beautiful. But with regards to the question about do I think that payroll professionals get the recognition they deserve? And as a whole, I don't think they get the profession because I don't think that UK payroll professionals always really realise how important they are to their employers and to the country. And maybe the country doesn't recognise how important payroll professionals are. We are the ones responsible for collecting the taxes and the national insurance that go towards building hospitals, paying for nurses, you know, local authorities and all that kind of thing. It's payroll departments that are responsible for that. 
And UK payroll professionals are not probably really good at uh, saying to their employers and stating the case, actually, we are really flipping important in the United Kingdom. So, no, they don't get the recognition. We need to stand up more and we need some people like myself to be fighting the case. And you mentioned earlier that the, you may not be there when we talk about the future of the payroll industry. You may have departed at the payroll industry at that point. But do you think that AI and the introduction of robotic process automation or RPA and the subsequent results of those introductions, which will hopefully mean that payroll professionals can spend more time analysing reports and, and making strategic level changes as opposed to doing some of the more mundane parts of payroll that do currently exist. Do you think that those introductions of AI and RPA will contribute to getting payroll people the recognition they deserve, or do you think it will still kind of continue as is? I think what AI will do is it will take out of the role some of the more, well, as you described, some of the more mundane, you know, data input things, some of the things that perhaps don't require the analytical thinking. I don't think in my the time of the career that I've got left, although I am still quite a babe compared to some, <laughs> I don't think that AI is totally going to replace human beings. But what AI will do is I think it will free up people's time so that they can be looking at the things that they should always have been looking at in the first place. We just sometimes believe that when we get a starter form in, that the right checks have been made about whether or not they've got the right to work in the United Kingdom. We believe things like the tax code and we just chuck it in. I think AI taking away some of those mundane things, you know, the, the data input will give us time to actually look at things and analyze data as we should be doing, but we just haven't got time. So I don't think AI is going to replace payroll professionals. I think it's going to make us have a more rewarding job, to be quite honest. You know, tapping in overtime is not fun. Tapping in a load of new starter information is not that interesting. But doing some sort of like strategic work, as you said, yeah, is going to enrich the payroll professionals. Fantastic. Well, a great way to finish those questions. So we're going to finish the podcast now, as we always do with the vault. Entering the vault. Ian, what's one piece of advice you would give to someone working in payroll right now? You're important. Don't let anybody say that payroll is just pressing a button. Realize that what you do is more than just paying people money at the end of the week, at the end of the month. You are looking at not only understanding tax, national insurance, you've got to understand a bit of pensions. You've got to understand a bit of employment law. You've got to keep your eye on the BBC. You've got to keep your eye on Cardiff and Holyrood and Belfast. There's so much to what you, what you do. Don't underestimate yourself. Excellent. Question two, with the benefits of hindsight, what would be the one career decision you would change? Yes, I've thought about this. And I think what I should have done is maybe not spent so long in the training environment. I maybe should have left the training environment sooner because I realize now that I'm a much more effective trainer, communicator and presenter working from inside the profession, experiencing things hands-on, rather than outside the profession and being hands-off. I can relate to things so much better working inside the profession than outside the profession. So maybe with hindsight, I should have left the training environment sooner. But hindsight's a wonderful point of view. Isn't it, Jasper? A great answer, nonetheless. If you had the power of foresight and could change the entire payroll industry with one action or improvement, what would that action or improvement be? I think I would like to sit 
with HMRC, a couple of government people, and I'd like to sit in a room with the likes of yeah, Kate and Simon Parsons, something like from, from SD Works, and come up with a list and thrash it out and say, right, okay, this is what is wrong. This is what we can do to help. Start again with the people that you consult with, and we'll put together a definitive list or, or a suggested list of people that they could work with for the benefit of both them and the payroll profession. Because I don't want you to just benefit the payroll profession. It's got to benefit HMRC as well. So that's what I think that would really have an impact on the payroll profession. Saying to them, right, okay, look at the people you consult with. Are they the right people? Would it change the payroll profession? Yeah. Fantastic. Who motivates you and why? Uh, and I think they were looking for me to say people like Richard Branson or Nelson Mandela or Eliza <laughs> Manelli or something like that. And whilst I respect all of those people, the only person I think that really motivates me is myself. I know what I've got to do. I know what I need to do and when I need to do it by. And no other person is going to do that but myself. So it's me that motivates me. Great. Great. Uh, you're not the first person to say you're self-motivated. So um, fantastic. Last question. If you didn't work in payroll, what would you be doing? Well, having lived in Wales, rural Wales, for about eight months, moved here in October, I find that having a small holding, it's just a fascinating way of life. And it's just a pleasure to wake up to a clear sky, no smog and the birds singing and the sheep and all that kind of thing, rather than the palaver of, oh, I've got to go past the M25. I wonder if I would make a good farmer because I'm not that keen on all the dirt and the mud. Yeah. But they do things like gardening gloves and they do things like Wellington boots. I think I'd like to give it a try. However, with this EU exit coming up, I wonder there's a lot of farmers that are going to be in a lot of trouble with the, the subsidy issue. I think I'd like to give that a try. And maybe I will once I finish in payroll. Oh, good for you. Fantastic. Well, it's a great way to finish the podcast. I'd like to say a huge thank you Ian, for joining me today. It's been enlightening for me. I thought I'd done all the research I needed to do, but actually I've learned a wealth of information about the, uh, the pension scheme myself. I'm sure those listening will, will come away with huge amounts of valuable information that, fingers crossed, people, employers and those that want to embark or upskill themselves in payroll can take away and hopefully implement to take advantage of what is a, a fantastic scheme that you've been very much involved with, with bringing it to the masses and, and making it live. So thank you so much for your contribution, both in terms of the apprenticeship scheme itself being, and for joining me today on this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. For those still listening who are still with me, I will put various links uh, in the episode notes, both to Ian's LinkedIn profile, to the uh, rules for employers, training providers and funding rules that Ian mentioned to in the podcast. Uh, there'll also be links to Cintra. For those not familiar, they're an award-winning provider of payroll and HR solutions. They supply in-house, managed and cloud solutions for all HR and payroll needs. If you want to find out more about Cintra HR and payroll services, please do take a look at their link as well. I think that closes everything up for me for today. So thank you ever so much for joining me and I will be speaking to you all again in a couple of weeks. You've been listening to the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, specialist payroll recruiters. If you would like to feature on a future podcast, please contact us. For a wealth of world-class payroll content, please visit us at jgarecruitment.com. See you next week.